I will not I write will any not sensitive write articles, articles during, during sensitive or about, or about, or about my, time my time in China. In China. 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 I didn't know her name, but she knew mine. She also knew my date of birth, passport number, and home address. To her, I was nothing special. An American, a barcode on the bottom of a pink receipt, $140 in fees, another obstacle between her and the day's end. But to me, her desk was a portal hovering between heaven and earth, and she the gatekeeper between my dull, old life and a new, shiny one. About her I knew tantalizingly little, but every detail seemed significant. There were things I could tell from her job alone. She processed visa applications, mostly for tourists, at the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. So, she was a Chinese citizen and spoke fluent English. She must have received a good education to be sent abroad on the government's dime. Then there were the things I observed about her from across the room. That she had an oval-shaped face thinly wired eyeglasses, and shoulder-length hair styled in a demure half-ponytail. Her posture was upright, but not rigid. She took a breath to steady herself in between each interaction with a customer. It wasn't a slow, deep breath. She wouldn't sacrifice that kind of time to indulgences. There were a few more things I gleaned at close range. That she wore a pair of blue latex gloves on the job, the only one of her colleagues to do so that she carried an insulated lunchbox. I wondered what she packed in there to eat, something functional and unpretentious, probably. An untoasted sandwich, no condiments, hard-boiled egg, celery spears. That her desk was neither orderly nor chaotic. That the border of her computer monitor was covered in different colored post-it notes advertising various outstanding tasks. I craned my neck to try to interpret them, but it was no use. They were written in that secret language of to-do lists unique to each individual and indecipherable to outsiders. There were some things that I had no evidence for but believe regardless, like she had a windowsill garden and dreamed of someday visiting the Serengeti. And then there was the one thing I never thought I'd find out, but I can't tell you what that is yet. listening to Have We Met Before. My name is Kasia, and these are stories of people I can't forget. Since of a proper name, I thought of her as Window 4. That was her workstation at the visa office. There were 11 of these windows, as they were called, that attended to the needs of would-be travelers to China. The first four were submitting the initial application, five was for diplomats, six was mysteriously empty, seven was for interviews needed for the higher-tier visas, and the rest were for picking up passports and cashing out. 
I too was branded with a number for a name when I arrived. A131. I scanned the analog displays to check which numbers were currently being served, to guess how long the wait might be. My own was so far off that I didn't bother doing the math. The knowledge would have been more painful than the uncertainty. I waited for several hours before I knew that window 4 was the one that I was waiting for. Naturally, I sized up the women, and they were all women, behind each of the four windows I might be called up to, and selected the one that I'd prefer to deal with. For such a rote job, each woman was distinct in her execution of a few simple tasks. Window 1 was the warmest of the group. She established a rapport with her customers, commiserating with them over long wait times, and asked them questions about their travel plans out of genuine curiosity, not professional obligation. Window 2 was the most stylish. That was hard to achieve when every employee wore the same standard-issue white button-down shirt, but she managed it. And yet she was clearly killing time and doing as little work as possible. Window 4 hardly allowed herself a complete breath in between customers, but 2 always found an empty task to run out the clock in between hers. Sharpening a pencil, refilling a stapler, collecting another bottle of whiteout. Window 3 had a mommy haircut and a fully painted face. She didn't seem especially quiet or loud, nice or mean, hardworking or lazy. Come to think of it, she may have been new on the job, because she often consulted the other windows for guidance. Window 4, as you must know by now, was the most captivating. I'm not sure what time it was on the clock when I first noticed her specifically, but I must have been subconsciously drawn to her, because the seat I'd chosen looked almost directly into her glass-enclosed desk. Her every movement, whether it was turning over a page, pressing the button beneath her desk that summoned the next number in line, wrapping an application packet with a rubber band before adding it to the done bin, was both graceful and muscular. Though she had my admiration, I dreaded the thought of facing her. My paper-thin mask was unlikely to pass her inspection. Window 1 seemed like the safest bet, followed closely by 3. But fate had a different itinerary. As I watched the last few numbers ahead of mine be called up and trickle out, I gathered all my required documents together a little too ahead of time, as people do when held hostage by an impending chore. Next, I obsessively checked and rechecked that they were all there in the remaining time, as if one of them would have suddenly vanished, despite me not leaving my chair for several hours. There was no limit to what the Chinese visa office might ask of you to prove your worthiness to their country, but this was a start. 1. Your typed visa application. No handwritten forms were to be accepted. This story takes place before they digitize the entire process. 2. Your passport and a photocopy of its ID page. 3. A recent color photo meeting the requirements, which were detailed down to the millimeter. The overall photo must be 48 by 33 millimeters, with the width of the head being between 15 to 22 millimeters and a height of the head between 28 and 33 millimeters. There should be 3 to 5 millimeters of white background between the top of the head and the top of the photo, and at least 7 millimeters between the bottom of the chin and the bottom of the photo. Your facial expression should be neutral, with eyes open, lips closed, and both ears visible. Beards are up to discretion. And four, supporting documents, which varied according to visa type. A tourist visa like I was applying for required a return plane ticket and hotel reservations covering the length of stay. 
Once every hour, the security guard stood at the head of the room with a megaphone. He competed against two flat-screen televisions for attention. The TVs alternated between a travel show and an overdubbed Xi Jinping speech. And both the sweeping rise of developing countries and the lingering unbalanced development between the North and the South. He read off the above list as a way of thinning out the crowd, first in one great wave and then intermittently for the next 10 minutes or so, as people too shy or too slow to leave in the initial exodus made their exit. Some of them returned later. There was an office upstairs that catered to these types, pretenders, dreamers, and the underprepared, with photo setups, printers, scanners, and computers you could pay for by the minute. But most didn't bother, or were too afraid. This mini-drama was always a welcome distraction from the waiting. The rest was plain, stupid boredom. Finally, after time ceased to have any meaning to me, my number was called A131, please proceed to window 4, were the words of the loudspeaker, first in Chinese and then in English. I flinched, but did as told. When I sat with four face to glass to face, I searched for any identifying features previously out of my scope of vision. The whisper of a wrinkle between the eyebrows, a birthmark, a partially healed pimple, something. My search came up empty. It was as if she were an airbrushed passport photo, come to life. Your application, please, she said, her first words to me. And with them, I jumped a little in my seat. It's always alarming to hear for the first time the voice of someone you've built up a character for solely in your mind. I slipped my form through the opening in the glass, verifying for myself once again that they were indeed typed and not handwritten. In her eagerness to plow through the line as quickly as possible, she grabbed at them. When she did, her plastic gloves momentarily brushed against the skin on my hand. Four pretended not to notice and began working through the application box by box, looking for blanks, evasions, false information. I should say now that there is a notice at the top of the form instructing the applicant to fill it out truthfully, completely, and clearly. I had not exactly adhered to that decree. Full English name, sex, date of birth, and nationality I could have sworn by, but I didn't get farther than box 1.15, current occupation or occupations, before I felt compelled to lie. I had no current occupation. They gave you weird pre-made boxes to choose from, like company employee or agricultural worker. There was a box for unemployed, which would have been the most truthful, complete, and clear choice among those on offer, but I didn't think that would help my chances of securing a visa. So I chose the college graduate's version of unemployed. Self-employed. Window 4, as I thought she would, honed in on this within seconds. My admiration for her would have died in an instant if she hadn't. She produced a blank piece of computer paper and passed it through to me. Tell me more about your company, she said, pointing to the page. Well, I, I don't exactly have a company. Is there anyone who can write a letter verifying your employment? She replied in a flash. This exact scenario must have occurred a million times before. I shook my head, unable to speak. What do you do? She asked. I, I write articles. What kind of articles? Every question she asked was delivered in a value-neutral tone that nevertheless left the impression you were being judged harshly. Journalism? You're a journalist? Uh, sorta. I'll need you to provide me with examples of your articles. Three will be enough.
and thus the gavel fell. But how can I provide you with them? I asked, already knowing the answer, but bargaining against it just the same. Upstairs. She meant the place with the rent-a-computers. And hurry, she warned. They lock the doors at 3.15. Come straight up once you're back. Of course, I said, as I fumbled to collect what application materials remained on my half of the table. She straightened her shoulders, took her half-breath, and pressed the button to trigger her next contender. The time on my phone read 2.51. The race was on. The upstairs, which up to that point I knew only in legend, may have been even more harrowing than the downstairs. There were posters on the wall that read, No Complaining, and Yes, It Did Say So Online. Knowing that there was a captive audience a few floors below, they knew they could charge extortionate prices for basic printing services, and they rubbed your face in it. There were three computers, and all three were full. I watched the time as my resentment grew and grew. I stared switchblades into the back of one user's head, willing him to give it up. He was retyping a handwritten application. There's no hope for you, I wanted to say. Let those of us who still have a chance grasp at ours. He did give up eventually. I sat down in his place to Google my name and the name of my former news organization. Each minute costs $1.99 and each printed page $0.50 plus tax. Freedom of movement isn't free. In the former job I was claiming as my current job, I had worked as a foreign affairs desk assistant. In my spare time, I was able to write web articles, mostly along the lines of my beat. Based on that, it would have been easy for the visa processors to think I wanted to muckrake my way across China in tourist clothing. I needed to lower the red flags that I had raised. I breezed past anything vaguely international. No Egyptian prisons, no IMF protests, no refugee islands, no, no, no. Eventually I found an article I'd written about the U.S. Supreme Court stealthily editing their opinions from years past, another about women entering combat jobs, and one about an Ivy League swim team's sexual harassment scandal. This was the most boring, domestic, culturally vapid, least offensive to Chairman Chi content to my name that I could find on short notice. I printed out the winners and ran back downstairs. It was 3.07, eight minutes to spare. I made it, I said to Four, louder than intended. She didn't seem to share my enthusiasm. Window Four glanced at each article in passing, much to my relief, not pausing long enough to review them for content. She fastened the stack with a metal paper clip. She had me write a description of them on the blank paper, which I hacked out as best I could, trying to come off as both legitimate and unthreatening at once. We went over a few more details, but luckily they were uneventful. The very last step was surrendering my passport. She handed me back a pink receipt. I examined it briefly. Instead of a date written in for when I would come back to pick up my visa, there was a box checked to call. This seemed non-standard. I asked if it meant that my application might be delayed. I don't know, she said, sounding credible. I wasn't sure how much of a cog in the machine she was, or if she had more sway than she let on, so I pushed further. Does it have anything to do with the articles? I asked. I don't know, she said again in a suspiciously identical tone of voice. 
like one of those self-checkout robots. I left it on that note of ambivalence and departed with the same feeling burning in my chest. Less than an hour later, I received a phone call. Hello, this is the Chinese Embassy visa section. The voice belonged to window four. My heart flipped. She went on to say that there was one more thing I needed to do before she could submit my application. I needed to write a statement, signed and dated, promising that I would not write sensitive articles. Sensitive articles. She told me to send a scan of the statement to visaofficedc at gmail.com and to make for window four the subject line, or else she wouldn't receive it. This last point she emphasized twice. My first reaction was one of pure subservience. I was at the gym, intending to run off the day's pent-up aggression. But after receiving her call, I went home and immediately fired up a Word document. I wanted to do what Window 4 had asked of me, and I wanted to do it as quickly and pleasingly as possible. Only later, after I'd already tossed off the statement and sent it along, did I wonder whether or not this was something I could morally stand behind. The asked-for statement was so bizarrely worded that I wasn't sure exactly how to execute it. Was I supposed to just repeat what Four had said word for word, or make it sound like it was my idea? What I ended up going with was as simple as possible. I, Kasia Aset, will not write any sensitive articles during or about my time in China. I printed it, signed it, dated it, scanned it back in, and sent it away. There was a reply soon after. Received, period, line break, window four, period. Four business days, what the embassy website says is the average turnaround time, passed by without another phone call. I tried to put the ordeal out of my mind as much as possible during that time, but as Thursday evening drew closer and closer, I started to panic. I called every number associated with the embassy that I could. None of them led to a live human. Friday was the last day the visa office would be open before my flight out on Sunday. I needed that passport. A $1,000 airline ticket depended on it. On Friday morning, I had no choice but to march back into enemy headquarters and, with all the confidence of someone who'd received a calligraphied invitation, demand that my passport be returned. My strategy was to act, at least at first, as if nothing was wrong. I paid my $10 for the parking garage, said good morning to the security guard, who I'm sure didn't recognize me, but by then felt like an old friend, and took a pickup ticket from the touchscreen kiosk. This time I was CO92. I thought that the pickup step wouldn't require nearly as much waiting as the submission step, but I was wrong. The pickup windows called up only 30 numbers in a cycle and took breaks in between. By the time CO92 was told to proceed to window 9, my adrenaline had built up so high that I almost desired a hostile confrontation. 9 was older than most of the other window women. She had a low ponytail secured with a silver barrette and orangey-red lipstick. She asked for my pink receipt to scan. Oh, the pink receipt. I was carrying the same purse as I had the week before so I rifled around in there, expecting to find it. I found nothing except the usual suspects, a stick of gum of unknown origin, and a partially used tissue. Where had I stashed it? Between the pages of a book I was reading, in the car, in my closet, 
in the corner on the floor where I dumped all vaguely important but not too important papers and documents. I couldn't remember. Sorry, I don't have it, I told Nine with a shrug. But I must have it to locate your passport, she said. Can't you just take my name? No. She grabbed someone else's disposed pink slip and pointed to a barcode on the bottom. I scanned this to find you in the system, she said. Well, I don't have it. So what can I do about it now? She asked if I remembered which window I'd submitted my application to. As if I could forget. She said I could go to four and ask her for help. I was growing exasperated, and Nine could tell. I came here anticipating a struggle. Now there was a different, even more stupid problem layered on top of the original one. The windows must have a special sense for when people are on the verge of losing their minds, and they know how to respond accordingly. When I started in about how I'd already waited for the better part of three hours just to get to this point, she appeased me, saying that I could go directly to window four without stopping to get another ticket. Seizing on this vague sense of permission, I charged over to Four, who was, once again, the keeper of my destiny. I loitered behind the couple she was serving until they were done. I clung so closely behind their chairs that I made myself uncomfortable. I imagine they must have felt it even more so. It was amazing how quickly one's regard for social niceties could evaporate if one was determined, worried, or pissed off enough. The moment the husband and wife made to stand up and go, I plopped myself down in one of their chairs. The reversal was palpable. Before I'd revered the competence and order of the Fortopia. Now I was destroying it. Hi, Window 9 said I could come straight to you, I said, claiming 9's authority as if she were a sovereign power. I don't have my pink receipt. 4 was startled, but jumped into action picking up her plastic bin and setting it on her lap. "'What's your name?' she asked. I almost said that I was 092, but stopped myself. "'Kasia. I submitted my application last Friday. I sent you a statement over email about sensitive articles.' "'Oh,' she said. Recognition flashed across her face. "'I remember you now.' She touched her index finger to her chin. "'Window 4 remembered me.' I didn't have a pink receipt, but I had that. But I gave it to you, didn't I? She asked, concerned that she'd failed to complete one of her essential duties. Yes, sorry, you did give it to me, you did, last Friday, but I lost the slip, and Window 9 told me to come here. I repeated the last part needlessly, clinging to her jurisdiction, as I was growing desperate. But there's nothing I can do without the slip. There must be something. I can't be the first person this has happened to. She eyed the room, packed full of people waiting behind me. I can't help you right now. We get thousands of applications each week. Don't you see that there's all these other people here? Yes, I I know, it's a lot, but isn't there someone else I can talk to? No, she said, squinting at me in annoyance. There must be someone. Who do you report to? Or do you write your own paychecks? The way she looked at me then wasn't quite a glare, but it was 75% of the way towards one. There's no one, she said, defiant of my attitude. Look, I need this today, I said, in a different voice, channeling a former boss of mine. This was his signature line. He always charged through life as if no one dared deny him, and it usually worked. 
I thought, this once, it might work for me too. Four may not have been the best test case, however, because she rolled back an inch or two away from me in her swivel chair. It was something, but I wasn't sure if it was the something that I needed. I don't have time for this, she said. There's a man, window five. He's on break right now, but if you want to speak with someone, you can speak to him when he gets back. Fine, thank you, I said, as if Thanksgiving was the last thing on my mind. Window 5 was the window for diplomats, so I stomped over to the kiosk and printed out a diplomatic ticket number. My latest alias? EO14. Since 5 was gone, I ran down to the basement to search my car for the slip. I turned up nothing. I thought I could have thrown it on the aforementioned pile in my closet, so I called my roommate to ask if she was home and if she could sift through the pile on my behalf. She didn't answer her phone, so I left her a voicemail briefly summarizing the situation. That damned pink slip. I hadn't realized that it was so important. That my existence turned on one thin, Pepto-Bismol colored scrap of paper. Perhaps I should have, because it was the only thing Window 4 had given me. Back in the visa office, I was too mad and anxious to sit down. So I paced up and down the back of the room like a wild animal in recent captivity. A whole 16 minutes and 42 seconds later, Window 5 returned. The first number was summoned. EO-13, only one ahead of mine, thank God. O-13 was a middle-aged man I thought probably worked for the State Department. I studied 5 and O-13's interaction carefully, watching for anything about 5's demeanor or protocol that might lend me an advantage when my turn came. Things started out all right between them, but quickly turned ugly. O-13 made an impassioned plea about something inaudible, and then squeezed his scalp with both hands, as if keeping the contents of his head from exploding onto the ceiling. But there has to be some reciprocity, he finally shouted at full volume. But pair even the most irately raised voice with the word reciprocity, and the overall picture is not exactly intimidating. Five merely smirked. O-13, perhaps realizing he was on weak footing, gave up whatever he was hoping to accomplish and went flying out the door. Now it was my turn, and I was ready for it. If things devolved into a screaming match between Five and I, I resolved to use shorter, stronger words. But of course, Window Five, no doubt exhausted from serving exactly one person, disappeared again for another lengthy interval. When he reappeared, I began walking over to his station before he even pressed the summoning button, a power move which he noted with contempt. I delivered the appeal I'd been rehearsing in my head for the past half hour. Hi. Window 4 said I could talk to you about an issue I'm having. I don't have the pink slip, and I need to pick up my passport today. I thought it was in my own best interest to skip over the reason why I didn't have the pink slip, because I had lost it, and go directly to the facts on the ground. Yes, I've heard all about you, he said. Frankly, I was flattered. But his hostility toward me went well beyond the substance of our interaction which had lasted only seconds so far. I looked through window 5 to the right to see that window 4's chair was empty. She must have been on her lunch break. Funny, I hadn't noticed her leaving. I was too zeroed in on the battle between 5 and O13. Somewhere behind the scenes, she must have told 5 that she'd referred me, a raging lunatic, to him. Gossipy, prone to exaggeration when challenged, Despite all my studies, I had not pegged four as this kind of woman, but I could see how it fit. 
All I had tried to do here today was make myself a force to be reckoned with. I didn't think that I'd overstepped a line, but clearly I had in her mind. And to think that I had such power over Window 4. It was marvelous. So, can you help me get my passport back? I asked Five, trying to steer us back on course. Without the slip, he said, there's nothing we can do. His use of the royal we royally annoyed me. Our system is run based on this number, he went on, sliding his finger along the bottom of the pink slip just as Window 9 had. But it's my passport. If I ask for it back, you have to give it to me. But you turned it over to us, and now you have to follow our policy. But I didn't know when I turned it over to you that it would be held against my will. And no one warned me when I received the pink slip that it was irreplaceable. Whose problem is that? Look behind you. Do you see all these people waiting? There's a lot of people that need our help. There were a lot of people waiting behind me, that was true. But not a lot of people that Window 5 was responsible for attending to. He'd been on break for the better part of an hour, and returned only to help EO-13, and EO-13 didn't depart looking particularly grateful for the assistance that he'd received. Then he took another break. Um, there was only one person ahead of me in line when I took this ticket, I said. That was when he lost it. He got up from his chair and pressed his head against the glass, eyes turned upward. And what does this sign above my head say? What does it say? he asked. Diplomatic passports, I said. I could see where this was going, and I wasn't amused. And do you have a diplomatic passport? he asked. No, I do not have a diplomatic passport, I said, unintimidated. But Four told me to come to you, and there's nowhere else to go. If there is someone else that I can speak to, I promise you that I would much prefer that. But it isn't all about you, he said. We have tens of thousands of applications. And to look for yours without the slip, it would take several hours, maybe even days. You have a terrible system, if that's the case, I said. Is there anyone else I can go to? I asked again. No, there's no one. I realized then that the anarchy governing this office was intentionally devised. Everyone acted as if everyone else had all the power. There was no final authority to appeal to. And so you had to submit to the standard procedures, or else give up. Your only recourse was to return to the touchscreen kiosk, christen yourself with a new number, and wait for another chance to plead your case to a pane of glass. Is there anything, anything at all, that I can do to get the passport back? I have a flight out on Sunday. This somehow pushed us forward. Do you know your passport number? he asked. Yes, I said, perking up my shoulders, brightened by the prospect that some positive action might soon be taken. Do you have your driver's license with you? Yes, I said, nearly salivating. Was this progress? Bring me a photocopy of your driver's license, write your passport number on it, and I'll see what I can do for you, if there's time. Photocopy. I knew what that meant, that I'd been banished to the upstairs yet again. I guess this was to be expected. On the way up the elevator, I got a call from my roommate. 
I skipped greetings when answering the phone. Did you find it? I asked her. No, hun, sorry. I looked through everything in your closet, too. But she didn't call to disappoint. She gave me a pep talk. You lost the slip, but what the hell? Shit happens. You're leaving the country on Sunday. Don't let them bully you. I was reinvigorated. I made yet another copy of my identification, paid the price for it, and descended into Bedlam. I envisioned what I would do if Five refused to take further action on my behalf. They'd have to pry me from the seat in front of his window. I would take number after number after number. I would stay there until the place closed, until the janitor left. I would follow the employees out to the parking lot. I would lay myself down behind the back tires of one of their cars. I would let myself get run over before I would surrender my passport to a man named Five. When I got back, Five was gone again. What went on in the hidden halls of this visa office? Who was depraved enough to even imagine? I didn't take a number. I just went up and sat in the chair by his window and waited. When he returned, I grinned. What a pleasure to see you again, I said, sliding over the photocopy. Great, he said, taking it. I may give you a call on Monday. No, this can't wait until Monday. I need this today, I said, again channeling my old boss. He threw both arms in the air as if I'd said something inflammatory. Do I need to call security on you? Do I? This was not the kind of question you asked someone who needed security called on them, I thought. I don't know. Do you? Edward! Edward! He mock-shouted for effect, as if the security guard could hear him from where he was standing, or at that medium level of volume. In reality, he had to walk down the corridor behind all the other windows, four through one, then out of a key-padded alarm door on the opposite side of the room. I sat in my stupid chair, amazed at the turning of events. O13 had raised his voice far more than I ever had, and yet Five still kept his cool. What was it about me that triggered him so? I watched Five emerge from the door across the room, approach the guard, state his charges, then point in my direction. Then the guard, who was apparently named Edward, the one I'd watched deliver his sermon on what was required to submit a visa application half a dozen times by now, turned his head my way and sized me up. He did not seem concerned about the threat I posed to security. He eased himself up from his seat, bracing both knees, and made his way over to us without haste. Am I about to be thrown out? I wondered. I mean, I'd been mentally preparing myself for far worse, for having my bones crushed by a previously owned Toyota Corolla. But no one in here had withstood as many brush-offs as I had. I'd faced off with three different windows today, taken on two numerical identities, and here I was still breathing. Bring on, Edward. What seems to be the problem here? He asked, deeply uninterested in whatever the problem was. Yes, Edward, yes. The reason is that this woman has been very aggressive and very difficult, Five said. When I tried to dispute this claim, Edward rebuked me. Be quiet, he said, pushing his hand out in a stop motion. When Five finished his list of grievances against me, he disappeared for what was the fourth time now, but took my photocopy with him. 
I felt I had to recover my reputation with Edward. I explained the entire sequence of events to him from my perspective. It was cathartic, because he seemed to be the first genuine human being I'd encountered all day. When I spoke, it seemed as if he was actually listening, and then the words he followed up with seemed to be related to the ones that I had just said. It's amazing how rare this sort of thing actually is in the world at large, but in the China Visa office specifically. Look, they will help you if they have time, he said. He guided me back over to window 9, where the woman with orange-red lips was sorting through a bin of passports ready to be distributed. He pointed to a small notice printed on one corner of the glass, which explained that if you lost your pink slip, you needed to give them your passport number, a photocopy of your driver's license or other form of government ID, and at least 24 hours notice to recover you in their system. But I called yesterday and, I started to say before Edward cut me off, They don't answer the phone, he said. That I'd figured out on my own. But if they told me on the phone, yes, they don't answer the phone, he said louder. Why was this place so willfully dysfunctional? Wondering only made it worse. Having reached an impasse, Edward and I went back to wait for five outside his window. Edward took the chair. Slightly more calm, I began to consider some alternative plans. Maybe I'd get my passport back on Monday. I could call the airline and push back my flight a day. That wouldn't be so bad. There'd be a flight change fee, but it wouldn't be as much of a loss as bagging the trip entirely. But wait, could I definitely get my passport on Monday? And with time enough to catch my flight? Maybe pushing it back to Tuesday was better. I tried to make conversation with Edward to keep my mind from spinning. Things get pretty heated in here, huh? I said. Oh, yeah, people stomp their feet, blow up, all sorts of things. Window 4 returned from lunch just then, her insulated lunchbox in tow. These women see the ugliest side of humanity, Edward said, for Four's benefit, but she made effort to ignore him, my presence, and the wake of destruction it had caused. She got in her chair and swiveled as far away from us as her enclosed space would allow. Five returned shortly after, holding my photocopy against his chest like a shield, like he was afraid I might impale him at any moment. I'm not one to use the term gaslighting, but, well, I guess I am. This woman was very mean, not just to me, but to my colleague, he said. He didn't mention four by name, but dipped his neck in her direction so both Edward and I would know that she was the colleague in question. I decided then that I'd trip the wire of some psychodrama between four and five that seemed to have little to do with me. The only thing to do now was endure it. Oh, you hurt her feelings, Edward said, seemingly delighted to have uncovered the crux of the issue. He was more of a social worker than a security guard. You should apologize, he said to me. Melanie, Melanie. Edward started saying towards the woman I'd previously only known as Window 4, and thought I'd only ever know as Window 4, trying to get her attention. This woman has something she wants to say to you. So Window 4's name was Melanie. M-E-L-A-N-I-E, Melanie. It almost felt like a violation to know. But 4, sorry, Melanie. But Melanie didn't want an apology from me. I could see that the entire situation embarrassed her. She kept her eyes low and gritted her teeth, 
She made a valiant effort to ignore Edward's beckoning, but he so persisted that she finally broke down. I leaned close into the glass of window five, but looking towards four. Melanie, I said. I know you deal with a lot of awful people here every day. Edward was nodding gravely. And I'm sorry I was one of them. I felt like a child being forced by a teacher to give a scripted apology. Melanie avoided eye contact, feeling the reverse discomfort, the one of the child being forced by a teacher to be the object of a scripted apology. Oh, okay, she replied, laughing nervously. Thank you. And then she returned to her work. Isn't that nice, Edward said, pleased with the results of his mediation. He was the best diplomat in the place, and he was hired to do security. I thought five might have me dragged from the premises by this man, but he ended up being the one to save me. They're going to help you now, he whispered in my ear, before returning to his chair by the entrance. Five looked satisfied that he'd sufficiently humiliated me. You need our help. Why didn't you just ask for our help? I thought I'd been doing that for the past four hours, is what I was thinking, but I could sense now that Edward was right, and that the tides were turning in my favor, and only a little more self-prostration would be required before I could escape this place, hopefully forever, with the goods. So I played into it. I need help, I said, as pathetically as I could. I'm in a bad spot, and I need help. Well, I managed to find your passport, he said. Oh, so it didn't take hours and days? It took less than five minutes? Is what I wanted to say. But I repressed the desire. And luckily enough, your visa is all ready to go. If you pay an expedited fee of 165 US dollars, you can take it home with you today. I paused to consider my options. It seemed there only was the one. Sure, I said, sounding out the U as if agreeing slowly left more of my dignity intact. Five, real name still unknown, smiled a closed-lipped smile and moved to fix up my passport for legal entry to mainland China. He turned back to impart one final piece of advice. Next time, be nice. Edward eyed me as I made my way towards the exit, passport in hand. See, everything worked out, he said. Thank you, I mouthed back to him silently, and he saluted me in reply. I spared a parting glance for Melanie, but she was attending to a customer of such height that I could only see her shoulders sticking out behind either side of his back. She knew my place of birth, my fake occupation, and my personal email. I couldn't see her face, but I knew her name. Her first name. Her English first name, that is. Have We Met Before, 
Join me again in the new year for a story about terrorism, taxi fare, and the Lebanese-Israel border. Theme music composed by John Hookstra. not write any sensitive articles during or about my time in China.